Win big in 2023 with rotoballer.com's MLB Premium Pass. It includes our preseason draft kit, 15 exclusive lineup tools, and the Team Sync platform. Get customized rankings for your specific league format. Sync your leagues with Team Sync and use our new live draft assistant. Then get customized advice for your scoring settings. Get a discount for any MLB Premium Pass using my code SAMSKI. Just visit rotoballer.com, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Catcher's Corner. I'm your host, Eric Samolski, and I am without my ride or die, my co-host, uh, Sammy Ackley tonight. We are uh we're dealing with multiple sicknesses in the family, and you know, Sammy's gotta uh gotta tend to some family issues, but we're gonna power through. Uh, because we've got a, a grade A guest, and uh, prospect talk doesn't rest. Um, so we've got one of the best in the business to talk prospects with. It's James Anderson. James, how you doing? I'm great, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. We get to talk prospects, and then uh, we get to watch Top Chef tomorrow night. We were talking about off air. Yeah, I, I can't wait. And we were going to record tomorrow, and some scheduling stuff made it. So it was tonight, and I, I actually love it. So I can just kind of spend tomorrow night just fixating on the Top Chef season premiere. Yeah, season premiere. If, if you don't know, we won't go into a big Top Chef podcast, even though we probably could. Um, but it is finalists and winners from all the different Top Chefs around the world facing off in one kind of like basically like a world baseball classic of cooking. Um, so it's perfectly timed um and yeah super stoked for that um so we're gonna marshal your expertise here uh i'm gonna try to you know chime in where i can about some prospects but you know these are this is your your wheelhouse um but before we get into analyzing specific players uh can you just tell people where if they love the information you're about to give them uh where can they find your work uh i know you've got some podcasts you got regular articles where can they get all of that information yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at RealJRAnderson. I tweet out everything I do from there. Uh, you know, you can check out Rotowire, rotowire.com slash pod, and you can get a trial. Uh, that's where all my work is. That's where the prospect rankings are. Uh, top 400, update that year-round. Uh, Dynasty rankings, update those year-round. Releasing, you know, a bunch of articles, especially in the spring with, uh, with all the stuff that's happening in camp and stuff like that. So... Uh, yeah, just rotowire.com or at real JR Anderson. And then I, I do the uh, rotowire baseball podcast every Wednesday. And that's also available on the rotowire prospect podcast feed. Yeah. And those are great. I mean, the, the articles are great too. The podcasts are great. Um, I got to tell you, I, I particularly love, even though you don't timestamp them, you have all the prospects listed in the order that you discuss them. Um, I find that super, super useful when going through um just because you know sometimes you don't uh you want to come back like i i save those podcast episodes and sometimes i want to come back to them later you know maybe i didn't draft these guys in redraft but as they come you know as they start to like bubble to the surface because of their minor league numbers i'd like to go back and listen to you know what the analysis was because i may have forgotten it after a month and i love knowing that like oh this is the sixth guy they talk about and then you can kind of jump to it so um I encourage everybody to, to check those out. Uh, and we're going to do the same thing with this podcast, make sure it's kind of 
ordered for everybody so they can come check it out um, whenever they need to. Uh, before we, we dive into specific names, I'm just curious, you know, talking general strategy, and we're going to talk about redraft leagues only for this episode. Um, just any listeners, uh, we're just going to go redraft only. Generally speaking, how comfortable are you taking rookies early in redraft leagues? Let's say like within your first 10 <clears throat> rounds in general. Um, and just kind of like what are the determining factors with you in knowing, you know, whether or not you'll you'll take the plunge on a guy? Yeah, it's very player specific. Uh, <clears throat> I don't draft very many prospects in redraft. And uh, it's probably a, a very sort of linear downward trend of what percentage of my roster is made up of prospects from like over the past seven or eight years. Uh, I think the more, <clears throat> the more you, uh, the more you play redraft, the more you analyze prospects, the more clear it becomes that uh, prospects are often overdrafted and mm -hmm. often wasted picks. But I, you know, I, we're going to talk about Corbin Carroll. We're going to talk about Gunnar Henderson. Uh, I just released my rookie pros or my rookie hitter tiers 2.0 article today, and I have a larger percentage exposure to Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson than pretty much any other hitting prospects. Uh, right. So it's, it's kind of, they're going high for a reason and uh, I'm, I'm kind of all about it, but I, there's just a ton of the guys that we're going to talk about today that I have zero shares of. I expect to have zero shares of come opening day. Um, and that's just, you know, I think people, we can get a little too excited sometimes about prospects, but yep. uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's got the playing time is really the thing for me. And mm -hmm. in, in most cases, either the playing time isn't very secure uh, or I just, I think the player is a good prospect, but not a good enough prospect where I expect them to have a productive rookie season. So a lot of my uh, better picks kind of over the years have been sort of just, you know, guys who are in their second year in the big leagues, third year in the big leagues, and the market's kind of cooled on maybe, or the market is not really believing in what the player did, that type of thing. But for prospects, I, I'm probably on the shorter end if, if we're just talking about redraft league in terms of percentage of prospects on my roster. Do you believe in the in the narrative, and then we'll move to specific players? But do you believe in the narrative that the gap between you know the high minors and and major leagues has probably widened over the last few years? I mean, specifically speaking, that narrative kind of started after the after the COVID year, um, but you know, I guess it might have been happening before that. But do you think that that jump is just a little bit harder than maybe we're accustomed to it being? Yeah, and especially for the like non-elite guys, um, the the pitching at AAA, it's it's not anywhere near as good as the pitching in the big leagues, and that becomes especially true the later into the season we get. Uh, if you kind of think about the pitchers who are pitching at AAA in July, August, these are guys who aren't good enough to be pitching in the for their big league clubs. They're guys who have been probably worn down 
from pitching all season. Uh, it's just, and you obviously have some very hitter friendly environments. Um, mm-hmm. The book, like the book is more out on these guys when they get to the big leagues than it was five years ago. Um, right. More teams are scouting the tendencies of prospects who are coming up to the big leagues later that season. And so in a lot of cases, you don't see players kind of hit the ground running um, because teams know how to attack them right away uh, or with, with pitchers, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different animal, but um, yeah, I, I think that that, that gap is, is, is quite wide. Uh, it might, it might've, the gap might've maybe peaked like last year because of the pandemic, because we had just a ton of pitchers who, weren't able to handle, um, you know, 120, 130 innings last year at AAA. So, you know, a lot of the pitchers who were pitching uh, late last season in the upper minors were just really bad pitchers. So uh, that might've been kind of a zenith of the gap. I could mm-hmm. see it maybe being a little bit closer to years past this year, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that's generally accurate. Yeah. I, I like the point about the the scouting. Um, I think that that's something that maybe get that's overlooked too, is how much information we have on, on minor leagues now. And now you're getting a lot of like minor league park factors and stuff like that. So we know more about the hitting environments. Obviously the teams had access to this before, but maybe they're scouting these guys um, a little more regularly. So um, that's great. Um, we're going to go through kind of like the the players that everybody knows, we'll try to go through quickly because they've been talked to death on so many different podcasts. We're going to do a little separate section on some rookie eligible catchers because this is a catching show. And then we'll move to uh, so pitchers and hitters. We're going to try to get as many names as possible. So for these first four guys, um, they're the guys that everybody knows. Um, they're hitters who are being drafted super high, two of them inside the top 100, a third could go inside the top 100 um, if current helium uh, continues. So I just kind of want to know if you're in or out at the current ADP. And this ADP is for March uh, NFBC online championship. So it's 16 drafts over the last week. Um, Corbin Carroll has an ADP of 51, uh, which is the fourth round of 15 team leagues. Are are you okay with that cost? <clears throat> Yeah, I am. Uh, I it's not like a <clears throat> it's not a thing where if he's sitting there for me in the fourth round, I'm taking him every time. Uh, but basically, all draft season, I've sort of I've I've viewed him as a guy who I think should be going in at least the fourth round. Uh, he's someone I'm just extremely comfortable with. I've had him mm-hmm. as a top fifteen prospect since uh, on Roadwire. You can see the the graph of sort of where guys have ranked um, throughout their prospect careers. And I've had Carroll as a top 15 prospect since May of 2021. So this is a guy that I've just been very bullish on for a long time. Uh, and it's just, he's got a perfect skill set for fantasy uh, five by five, especially. And yeah. uh, I think now that he's going in the fourth round might even creep up to the third round. It's very sort of specific to your build. Like, I think he fits really well if you, say, you start with a Jordan Alvarez or a Vlad Guerrero or someone like that, then you maybe you grab an ace, or maybe you grab a closer or something like that. I think he, he fits really nicely into that. Uh, I passed on him in the fifth round of TGFBI because I started off with Bobby Witt and Bo Bichette. And so right. it would have just been kind of piling on at that point to, to get another speed guy. Uh, yeah. But I, I think – 
he 100 belongs in the fourth round to me right now yeah and i i've read a lot um and you know you've mentioned on other podcasts too there's a little bit more power than people gave him credit for based on the small uh sample size from from last year so it's not a not a nothing in in that department as well um there was a narrative that gunner henderson's adp was was up where it was because of the scarcity at third base um he's currently being drafted 91st overall would you take him there based on his overall talent yeah i would and it's for me it's not about the scarcity at third base uh i like a lot of third basemen who go like 100 picks later than Gunnar Henderson. So I, I actually don't think it is that. Like, obviously, there are going to be tiers at the position. Mm-hmm. But I think you can you can get by just fine if, like, Yohan Moncada is your starting third baseman. Uh, but I think Gunnar, the, the, the thing you really got to drive home with him is just how good his uh, swing decisions are and how good his eye at the plate is for a player his age with his tools he's just he's very very advanced as a hitter and that gives me confidence that he's you know who knows if he's going to return a profit at this cost but i don't think he's going to bust for you and i do believe he will get around 10 steals you know who knows what the stolen base environment is going to be but uh the fact that you could get a third baseman who could potentially help you in all five categories is very appealing yeah, and you mentioned at the top of the show, obviously, um, playing time is super important when you're deciding whether to dive in or not. And unless he completely falls on his face, um, he's got a long, super long leash in in Baltimore. So that makes sense. Um, another guy whose ADP is rising, even though there were playing time questions at the beginning, and maybe there kind of still are, but it's Jordan Walker, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, whose ADP um, in March online championships is 135th um rising up pretty drastically due to obviously his incredible performance so far in spring training um are you in on jordan walker at that cost i'm not uh i have some you know i have some minor regrets of not drafting him you know three four months ago but uh i wasn't drafting him then and i just for the reasons I wasn't drafting him then, like I, I think, I just think he's really overrated right now. Uh, but I think he's really good. I just don't think, I don't think people should be using the name Julio Rodriguez when they're analyzing Jordan Walker. I just think that that's that does a disservice to uh, Jordan Walker. It's kind of a slap in the face to Julio Rodriguez. Um, <clears throat> He's my number. Walker's my number four overall prospect, uh, kind of in a tier. Like I could, I could see a case for him at three. I don't really see a case for Jordan Walker as a top two prospect. Uh, personally, you're not going to find. Mm-hmm. You're really not going to find any scout that I know of who's putting more than a fifty on his hit tool, and that just, yep. you know, it, the home runs are the exit velocity is just great. You know, like it's awesome, big time power really good athlete for his size, but uh, we're talking about at least a full grade difference between his hit tool and, and Julio Rodriguez. We're talking about half as many stolen bases when we're talking about Walker versus Julio. So I just think that comparison has just gotten a lot of legs because there are some similarities there physically, uh, biographically, just playing in the AFL, 
being tall guys who can run. Uh, sure. And obviously this, this hot start to the spring, people are, the, the FOMO is just so real and right. people are going into these drafts saying, I'm taking Jordan Walker in the 11th round of this draft. And then they miss out on him. So then their next draft, they're going to take him in the ninth round. And, you know, you know how this goes. So it's just, I'm, I'm going to miss the boat. If, it, if he ends up paying it off and he could pay it off, I'm going to miss the boat. But I just think there are so many uh, really, really good players going in that range, guys that I have a lot of faith in. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't have any shares of Walker and I probably won't. I think that FOMO you talked about is, is kind of prevalent throughout all of the the rookie conversations we're going to have because, you know, some people were were hesitant to jump in last year, right? We saw Jared Kelnick fall flat on his face a couple of years ago. We saw Joe Adele, you know, not pan out. Um, so, you know, Wander Franco was not quite the, as a great real life player, he wasn't quite the fantasy darling that people thought he was going to be. So you had some people for sure jump in on Julio and, and Bobby Witt, um, but I think the reaction to prospects in general was more tepid. And then you had Julio and you had Bobby Witt and you had Michael Harris and you had Spencer Strider. And you basically had just rookies come up and succeed like crazy. And now everybody doesn't want to be the one who misses Julio, doesn't want to be the one who, you know, misses Michael Harris. You know, I picked up Spencer Strider and then traded him like three weeks after I picked him up and regret it, um, you know, but but that's kind of so that's that I think that's that FOMO part you're you're talking about you know right now Jordan Walker's going basically right around um you know even though he's he is an outfielder but he's listed at third base but other outfielders in that in that range you know Anthony Santander um Giancarlo Stanton Ian Happ you know guys who have a, a long track record of either prodigious power um or you know kind of like a a lot of power and stolen base, like, like an Ian Happ. So, you know, it, it is a tough decision. Um, I think like you, I'm going for something more established in, in that range. Um, but, you know, to, to each their own. Um, the last guy though, I am totally in on and only partially because I'm a Red Sox fan, um, but it's Tristan Casas. Uh, he's going by far the the latest of any of these guys. His March ADP is still at 216. Um, are you in on Casas at two sixteen? Uh, I I haven't ended up with him, but it's it's not because I'm out on him. Uh, I think, like I really like, I love the price on Christian Walker. I love the price on Rowdy Telez. I love the price on Josh yeah. Taylor, and that's more the reason why I haven't gotten Casas anywhere. Uh, but I I I get it. Uh, Two concerns with Casas to me, much better OBP guy than batting average. So mm-hmm. I think he's extremely format dependent in terms of just how high his upside is this season. And then I also, I don't really think he's going to do well at all against lefties. Who knows? Like, you know, maybe, maybe he gets better at that. I mean, those samples are never big, but I don't expect them to necessarily platoon him, but um, I just, I don't really see him hitting for that great of a batting average. And he's got the power to, to be a good pick, even if he hits 240. Uh, But I, yeah, it's more about the other first baseman. I'm a bit more comfortable with. They're going a little bit earlier. 
Sure. And and the Red Sox do have a natural platoon partner in Bobby Dahlbeck who hits lefties really well and can't touch righties. Um, so there, I understand the the narrative of the platoon. Um, I just really like the the plate approach. Um, you talked about yeah. him being being really good in OBP leagues. To me, there's something about, you know, a a kid who's 23 years old who has that good of an understanding of the strike zone, but is also, you know, 6'4", 250, um, and has that raw power um, that, you know, we've, the, I remember watching in the, the Olympics, you know, when he was playing for team USA, like there was some really nice, like oppo, easy oppo power. Um, you know, he's, he's hitting pretty well at spring training, hitting, you know, 444 uh, with two home runs, you know, the, the baseball, uh, the opponent quality, which baseball reference has um, is an 8.2. So it's basically triple a pitching. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. It's, it's not, total scrubs but it's not full-on major leaguers um but you know again i i think that boston is giving him the job yeah um, is is my is my take on it um and but yeah i totally understand the um the format questions there i you know i had two first basemen in tgfbi because i love the depth at first base and then i said screw it and i just drafted casas (laughs) as my util yeah. Uh, because I just wanted a, I wanted a share and and why not? And I think, you know, it, it worked with um, my lineup and there's a chance that he leads off weirdly for them. Um, you know, he's done it in some spring and lineups and that's our roster resource has him. I, I don't know if that really <laughs> sticks, um, but also like they don't have a natural leadoff hitter because it's like, I guess, Verdugo or him because they already said Yoshida isn't leading off. So or could, like Christian Arroyo. So who knows? Uh, he might get a, a boatload of at-bats. Um, and that's intriguing to me. Um, we're going to move on to catchers or catcher, you know, rookie catchers or, or el- rookie eligible catchers. Um, four guys who I just want to know from you, whether they are targets for you in a one catcher league, a two catcher league, or not at all. Um, the one going earliest off the board right now is Gabriel Moreno, um, who is the Blue Jays catcher who was traded to um, Arizona as part of the Dalton Varsho deal. Uh, in March, Moreno's ADP has has shot up to 228. Um, is he the starter there? Is this a pretty even time split with Carson Kelly? Um, is Moreno worth drafting in one catcher leagues or just two? Well, I think he should be drafted in uh, like if you're in a if you're in a 15 team one catcher league, I could probably name you 15 catchers I'd rather have than Moreno. Um, so I'll say he's more of a two catcher guy, and uh, I, I worry about the power, uh, especially as a rookie. And then I think Carson Kelly at least starts against lefties. Maybe it's kind of like a 60 40 thing. Um, but I, I I don't have any Moreno shares. Yeah. Um, Carson Kelly also playing super well this spring. Um, again, super really small sample size. Um, but there was some prospect pedigree there. There have been some flashes in the majors. Um, and then I, I had a really interesting conversation with Steve Vogt um, in the offseason. And he just mentioned that with the new rules that he felt like smart veteran catchers are more important to their teams because – the pitch clock makes it even more important to have a catcher who game plans well and knows how to attack hitters and knows what they want to call and 
knows kind of like um, and has that that experience with the pitcher that there's that trust that you know they're not going to have to shake shake each other off and go back and forth forever and go out for a mound visit and do this that the pitcher knows that the catcher um, has done the scouting has planned for these hitters knows how to attack them Um, and so you know you've got an established veteran like a seven-year veteran like Carson Kelly, I don't necessarily know that they're going to just like fully give the reins over to a rookie. Now, again, you know, vote is also was a veteran catcher. So obviously might lean towards, you know, supporting the veteran catchers. Uh, but, um, you know, that's, that's just an interesting uh, tidbit that I think some people, some of us don't think about. And then I, you know, vote was in Arizona and was a huge fan of Carson Kelly and his, his work ethic. So I kind of always think about, about that too. And, you know, them not totally wanting to uh, phase him out. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of competition in Oakland um, for Shea Langoliers. And they obviously, you know, by trading Sean Murphy, they kind of opened up that that job for him. Um, in TGF, uh, sorry, in uh, NFBC formats, he's currently only util eligible, uh, which will obviously change uh, pretty soon. Uh, but that might also be why he's going on average uh, pick 275. Are you in on on Shea Langoliers going toward the back half of the two hundreds? I think it's a good price. Uh, I I'm kind of a kind of a catcher snob. I I like to pay up for both my catchers. Um, so I even though I think it's a great price, I haven't ended up with him. Uh, but I I think to me he's discount Cal Rally. Like I think he's. Mm-hmm. just got monster power he's going to play a ton uh so i i could see him hitting 25 homers this season so i and and starting you know 70 70 percent of the game something like that nice i love i love discount cal raleigh um the next three guys i added in a third one who um is not really a rookie but is only you know 23 years old and um or 24 years old and hasn't really had a start but i'm just curious if you think these guys become at all fantasy relevant in redraft leagues this year uh because i'm not even sure that two of them are going to be up at the start of the year it's francisco alvarez of the mets andy rodriguez of the pirates um, and luis camposano of the padres do you think any of them become fantasy relevant this year I think Alvarez and Rodriguez will. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know when we see either of them. Uh, I think I would give Alvarez the slight edge in projected plate appearances, but, uh, and that's, I, I just, I think it's more likely he's up for four and a half months than Rodriguez. But you could argue that once Rodriguez is up, he might play more regularly than Alvarez. Mm-hmm. So, kind of a toss up there for me between Alvarez and Rodriguez, but I, I think they're both so talented. They're both top 50 prospects for me, which is, which is a big vote of confidence. I, I hate ranking catching prospects high. Um, so, you know, I think they, they, they'll they be relevant once, uh, once they're up, it's just a matter of when they're up uh, campus. Sano, yeah. I've been off of for a long time because of how bad his defense is. And I just I don't know why um, he would all of a sudden play a bunch this year. Uh, maybe maybe the defense has gotten better uh, in the off season, um, but to, to me he's kind of Francisco Mejia two point just a guy that you don't want to be giving fifty percent of your starts to. Makes sense. Um, 
just to add on the on the Francisco Alvarez thing, since I do cover New York sports here, um, you know, Tomas Nito has certainly like earned his his at bats um, and defensively is is a huge favorite. Um, so the you know he's always going to kind of be in the in the mix. Um, and then the interesting thing with with Alvarez in for the Mets is going to be that DH spot, right? Because right now they just have Bogobach and and Darren Ruff, um, guys who are not. Um, you know, yes, there was like the, that great Vogelbach run last year, um, but he's not necessarily a guy you can't push out of the lineup if Francisco Alvarez is hitting like crazy and maybe not ready to catch all the time. Um, you know, there is a, an avenue for him to get extra bats uh, in the Mets lineup while still splitting catching duties with either Omar Narvaez or Tomas Nito or, or you know, however the Mets want to work that out. Um so it is just kind of an extra avenue for for them. And again, you know, unlike Pittsburgh, who is not going to compete this year and may have an incentive to monitor or to kind of manipulate um, Andy Rodriguez's playing time, the, the Mets are in win now mode. And if Alvarez is hitting really well and can help them win now, they're not going to keep him down um, while Vogelbach and Ruff, you know, flounder in the DH spot is my take. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that for the most part. Uh, I honestly I wouldn't be that surprised if Vogelbach plays more than people expect, uh, at least against righties. But um, yeah, yeah, right. I I'm super. I mean, I I wrote an article. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful because the Mets brought in Jeff Albert as their hitting coordinator. Um, he was with the Cardinals. His whole philosophy is on pulled fly balls. Um, Vogelbach doesn't really hit the ball in the air, doesn't like to swing a whole lot. Um, so my my hope is that they get him being a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more aggressive to the pull side and, you know, let him know that his value to the team is more when he's driving in runs and not walking all the time. Um, and that <laughs> it it was great when you were a leadoff hitter in Pittsburgh and you're walking, but if you're hitting sixth in this Mets lineup, um, we don't need you to walk. We need you to drive the ball and, and you know, try to go gap to gap or hit something out of the yard. So, um, yeah, I've got he, some hope on, on Vogelbach. He does have one of the best uh, walk bat flips out there. Um, like when he when he draws a walk, he flips his bat. It's pretty nice. Well, he he when he, when he walked that often, uh, you got to get that <laughs> bat flip down. Um, we're going to move into just these kind of like general gut reactions to some of these prospects. Um, James and I talked about this before recording. Our goal is to try to get as many names as possible. So sometimes James will be super quick with the, with the analysis on a guy doesn't like him, likes him, whatever. Um, so we can try to get as much information to you as possible. Um, the guys that are going within normal draft ranges, I'll mention the ADP. And then for some of the guys who are coming later, um, I'll just say like, you know, they're going outside of, basically pick 400 right now. And so they're just kind of like, you know, dart throws or, you know, um, options for you. And at that last pick in your home league, something like that. Um, Grayson Rodriguez going pick 164 in March drafts. Is this, you know, are you fully in, is he getting full run in the Orioles rotation? I'm, I'm super out at this cost. I think there's just too many, not only talented veteran pitchers with upside going in this range, but guys who you can uh, dream on 175 innings from. And I just, you're not going to get close to that from Rodriguez. Um, just no interest where he's going. Yeah. Uh, just for the record, uh, that's in this range. 
Luis Garcia of the Astros, Drew Rasmussen, Tony Gonsolin, Jordan Montgomery, Chris Bassett, Pablo Lopez, um, Brady Singer, Cody Senga, who I didn't put on here because he's not really a prospect, even though he is a rookie. Um, you know, so and then so I, I fully understand that. And then um going 20 picks later is Hunter Brown of the Astros. Seems locked into a rotation spot for now because McCullers is injured, shockingly. Um, are you in on Hunter Brown going around 187? Uh probably not at 187. Um back when he was kind of going right after the McCullers news, you could get him a little outside the top two hundred. That I thought was a was a nice price. Um, so I mean, there's there's probably a chance that he falls to around two hundred or so, two ten mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, and in that case, I'd I'd think about it. Um, I'd probably still take guys like you know, like Sunny Gray. Uh, you know, I, I even I really like the price on Tyler Valley right now, and I might even go with him over yeah. Brown. But I I like I like Brown. I mean, I think. He's got an edge over Rodriguez just with the team context because any anyone who's in that Astros rotation could get you twelve plus wins. So yeah. I like that aspect, but one eighty seven is still is too much for me. Yeah. Um like the talent, you know, maybe if the if the spot isn't as as high. Um had Andrew Painter on here and news came out today, so I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned it that um he might not need surgery on his elbow um but obviously that means he might need surgery on his elbow um so we we don't really know if we're gonna see him this year hopefully we know we do at some point but i assume you know you're just not touching him in any format outside of like a dynasty yeah i mean i've already got some shares back when he was going outside the top 300 so i um you know i think a lot of this is the agent and the team really trying to get on the same page about how they want to sort of describe the injury, what they want the plan to be, that type of thing. So it's not, it's not like a 10 out of 10 panic meter by pitching prospect injury standards to me necessarily, but right. uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't draft him right now uh, at this spot. Yeah, there is a there was a uh, Jason Stark was on a Philadelphia radio station um, this afternoon. Uh, well, what was what was five hours ago? Well, early evening, I guess. Uh, and apparently said the quote they're they're quoting him is unless people are misleading me, there's no indication that this is anything serious. Uh, but obviously, as as young as he is, even if it's not anything serious, um, they're not going to push him too hard. So. Um, you know, you you might be see him. You might see him later in the year, but but super late would be um, my guess. And you're gonna have to help me with this last name. And this is admittedly a guy that I didn't even know about until maybe like three weeks ago. Um, Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher Brandon, is it Fott? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so he's he's rising up and he's kind of the talk of fantasy baseball Twitter, but he's still going just outside pick 300. He's going three Oh four. I don't think he has a spot in the rotation right now, but are you in, are you intrigued by him at this cost? Um, I mean, this is probably my most frustrating ADP trend of the past two months because I, 
absolutely love Fott. I had him ranked like top 50 back on January 15th. I, for my pitching prospect tiers for 2023, I had him in the same tier as Rodriguez, Painter, and Brown. as kind of a big four for redraft. And I just can't land him, man. Like every single draft I'm in, he goes, it seems like he goes 10 picks ahead of where I was planning on taking him in every single draft. And so I've got FOMO now, but, (laughs) um, you know, if he's going, if he's going around 300, around 280, that's, that's a lot for a guy who might spend a month at AAA and, um, you know, he could get injured when he goes back to AAA. He could still get injured this spring. It's it's tough. I I love him. I think he's, you know, back in October or November, I thought he was going to be a sleeper. <laughs> and he's not a sleeper at all. No. Um, and so it's it's frustrating. I, I, I can't say enough good things about him as a pitcher. Oh, but I haven't been able to move him high enough up my board to get him. So my take on that then is if he doesn't break camp with the team and so people kind of move off of him, he's somebody yes. that you think people should heavily keep an eye on because once he's up, you think he can be a really impact on. Yes. And I would, I, I would love it. Announced in 10 days that he's getting reassigned to minor league camp. I would absolutely love it because then I would be drafting him. I assume he would start going closer to pick 400 at that point. And then I would just, I would, I would stash Brandon Fott for a month happily uh, in a 15 team, seven, seven man bench league. Uh, I think he's, he's worth that. I just, I can't quite take him where he's going right now. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping that he starts at triple a, whoever drafted him drops him mm-hmm. or just his ADP falls enough that I can get him with one of my bench spots. Which means those of you, if you're in a home league that particularly has like a deep bench or something like that, um, or has IL spots. So, you know, you don't have to carry injured guys on, on the bench, um, which gives you more flexibility. He could be a guy to, to draft late and and hold on to for, you know, a month or six weeks or, or whatever. Um, I'm going to switch up the order real quick because it just seems like a good segue to talk about the guys who are battling with him for for the job, um, which is Dre Jameson and Ryan Nelson. Um, Are you particularly excited about either one of them or you just kind of think they're just placeholders for Brandon Fott who, you know, in a month into the season? They're both, uh, they're both very talented. I, I like them as, as pitchers. Um, Zach Davies isn't standing in anyone's way. I think he's just going to be like a, a long man, six starter guy. So mm-hmm. uh, I would expect at least one of Jamison Nelson to make the rotation. Um, Man, it's, it's so hard. I, I go back and forth on which one of these guys I like more for this year. Uh, you know, Nelson's just got this monster fastball. Jamison's got uh, a really nasty fastball slider combo. Uh, I I could see one of them uh, being a pretty good investment. I I can't make my mind up really, and I haven't ended up with either of them. But 
Um, I don't think they're bad picks where they go. Yeah. I think Nelson, despite having the worst spring, I mean, you know, you can't get that much worse than a, a 23 63 uh, spring ERA. <laughs> if you, if you care about those sort of things, um, he was pretty high in Eno Saris's pitcher ranking. Mm-hmm. So I've seen his um, ADP rise uh, for those who obviously follow along with that. Um, you know, Jameson has been a little better in the spring, a lower opponent quality, according to, to baseball reference. Um, but you know, four Oh five ERA. So, uh, two names to, to keep an eye on there. Um, another guy who, who's rising up because again, of, of Eno's pitching rankings where he was high on, um, Hayden Wesneski of, of the Cubs, um, who was another guy who maybe has a spot, doesn't currently have a spot, but isn't really being pushed by um, anybody who is a, is a long-term threat. Um, I think, you know, the, the four or five spots right now in Chicago are Drew Smiley and Adrian Sampson. Um, so are, are you in on Hayden Wesneski or would you rather just take a flyer on another young pitcher late in drafts? I really like Wesneski. Uh the talent, I think he's. I think he could be a number three starter in the big leagues. Um, he's just been going a little too high. I, I've been really confused as to why it's even a debate as to why as to him being in the rotation. Like I, I thought last year, he was just so good to me. Uh, he was so good at triple. He was so good in the upper levels of the minors. Uh, the, the idea that Adrian Sampson might get that over him just is bizarre uh so i if i if i'd been drafting him i wouldn't be worried about it i think he i think he gets you know 140 ish innings in the big leagues this year yeah um but you know we're still talking about a range where there's there's some some decent veteran starting pitchers who are locked into rotations like i, I would take eric lauer over hayden westnesky um sure so i i just haven't ended up with him but i, I really like the pitcher it's funny because, you know, I, I thought the same as you. Like, why is Adrian Sampson even in this conversation? I, I guess I was surprised that he put up a 311 ERA in, in 19 starts last year, um, which I, you, you, I would never have guessed that. Um, but he did. Uh, 73 strikeouts and 104 innings is not going to really entice anybody. But, you know, um, you know, the, the Cubs obviously have that spot and – who knows, uh, you know, what's happening also in, in Kyle Hendricks's um, injury recovery there. Uh, you know, he's he's got a capsular tear in, in his shoulder, but he's like, apparently there's all these reports that he's trying to rework himself entirely as a pitcher. Um, what that means and uh, what it means for results, who knows? Um, but that's a, that is a tricky situation for me, um, just because I don't really know when Wesneski gets in in the rotation or how locked in that that spot is so I'm with you on trying to find maybe something more secure in the in that range um two guys I I kind of do find myself gravitating towards um our teammates uh in Washington um both used to be um really high profile prospects who kind of like I guess have seen some of the the shine wear off um and it's Mackenzie Gore and Cade Cavalli um, and Mackenzie Gore has kind of started to tick up again because he's looked pretty good in the spring and he, he's back up to a 311 ADP. Um, are you in on either one of these guys or both of them for this year? I like Gore. I, I like Gore where 
where he's going. Uh, I thought, like, I was very hands-off on him for all of draft season prior to spring training, just given the way he finished last season with the with the injury. Um, you know, just kind of, it, it seemed like one of those things where maybe this could be headed for Tommy John surgery, uh, not being able to make a final start last year because of the elbow issue, even though he'd been trying really hard to get back. Uh, so I was just not touching Gore, but he looked really good in his first spring start. So uh, that's enough for me to kind of roll the dice on him just outside the top 300. If he starts getting pushed up much further than this, though, you got to kind of look at the team context, the durability mm-hmm. concerns. And, you know, you might be kind of chasing something that that isn't really realistic. But, you know, if, if he's... If I'm on the clock at pick 311, where his ADP is right now, and I want a pitcher with upside, I think Gore's a great pick. And Kabali, uh, just uh, less of a less of a finished product to me. Uh, he's mm-hmm. his. Uh, I mean, the book on him is just make him throw fastballs, and he can't he can't really throw his his off speed stuff for strikes uh, consistently at all. Uh, I think that's 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 generally a good book on on a lot of these guys. Uh, that's a really sure. good book on Cody Senga, uh, for instance. I, I saw him in person uh, a few days ago, and just make him throw strikes. He, he'll walk you. Um, I think Kabali might do the same. And if you make him throw fastball, uh, and you know it's coming, you can you can still tee off on it even at ninety eight. So um, I think Kabali goes through more growing pains this year. I think Gore. If he can stay healthy, Gore could break out. Good to know. Um, a prospect I, I've been interested in um, is Oakland A's pitcher K, uh, Ken Waldachuk, who came over uh, for the Yankees in one of the trades last year. He also seems locked into a rotation spot. Um, team context important there as well as it is, you know, in Washington. But the park works in his favor. Um, do you think that it could be an interesting year for Ken Waldachuk? So multiple really smart people have tried to sell me on Waldachuk and I I was just kind of like I don't get it. I you resist. <laughs> so so he he's just he's one of these guys where um scouts have never liked the stuff as much as uh kind of people that do data models and stuff like that like the mm-hmm. stuff. Um and, you know, it, maybe it's nothing, maybe it's something. He does have pretty stark uh, lefty-righty splits. He's got pretty stark home-road splits. So I tend to think, ideally, he's a home streamer. Okay. But I don't really think you're getting him for a home streamer price, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, what, you know, best-case scenario – he wins like eight games. <laughs> I don't know. Um, sure. I, I've, so there was a time, Hayden Wesneski and Waldachuk both used to be Yankees pitching prospects. Mm-hmm. I always liked Wesneski a lot more than Waldachuk. Okay. I just thought he had better stuff, more upside. Um, I'm, I'm still kind of sticking to that. Uh, and the A's have really bad taste in pitchers they trade for anyways. Right. So, yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I, I could see this just being a blind spot for me and a bunch of people kind of, you know, taking a victory lap after he puts up a nice season worth of ratios and gets you 150 Ks and me just not having any part of it. But um, it's it's just not a guy I've ever had a ton of faith in. And I, I hate the team context other than the part. You're making me feel good about my round 24 FB, uh, TGFBI pick, which was Ken Waltschuk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's so, fine. Round 24 and a 15 teamer. Like, you, I mean, yeah. who did, who did I take in round 24? I took, was, uh, I took my Jose S- Quintana after, okay. after his injury. I took him. Yeah. In 24, so. He's, he's my SP7. So I was like, you know what? Why not? Um, churn him if it, if it doesn't work. Um, two guys who are currently injured right now. Um, so I'm just curious uh, if you care about these injuries, if you're in at all. Um, is Brian Bayo for the Red Sox and Cody Morris of the Guardians? Um, are you in on on either guy? Are you concerned about the injuries? Anything of that nature? I'm really worried about Bayo's injury. Uh, just his size, his velocity, the forearm, just all the red flags in the world to me, even though he is like, you know, throwing live batting practice this weekend, supposedly. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I like the idea of Bayo uh, before the injury, but now I just, I think there's just too many red flags there. And then mm-hmm. with Morris, man, like I love, I love Cody Morris, the pitcher. I think a lot of people do, but it's just durability has been the thing with him this whole time. And, um shoulder stuff i think specifically and so the hope was kind of that he was sort of their sixth starter heading into camp and right maybe plesac is just too bad or cal quantrill's too bad and morris gets a look but he's old i think he's 26 already uh they've got plenty of pitching on the way um just not a situation that seems very promising for 2023 Okay. Um, hopefully we get some good news here at the end. Uh, I'm going to lump uh, three guys together because they're guys I, are who are all on contending teams and don't seem to have jobs um, as it stands, but have, have fans of their talent. Um, so we've got <laughs> Kyle Harrison of the uh, San Francisco Giants, uh, Bobby Miller. These two guys, I, I get confused all the time, but Bobby Miller of the Dodgers <laughs> and then Bryce Miller of the Mariners, um, they all have flashed super impressive stuff, you know, pitching ninja type of stuff online, um, team context that people love, but they currently seem to be on the outside in. Do you think that any of them actually will have value in, in redraft leagues this year? Um, I think of those three, I would guess that one of them does have value at some point this year. Um, Harrison strike throwing has always just been an issue. I think there's a valid case to just say he needs more time in the minor leagues. He's not a finished product. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be that hard of a rotation to break into once they decide he's ready. Mm-hmm. And then Bobby Miller, uh, I there's actually another Dodgers pitching prospect I prefer over him, Gavin Stone. Um, I I think Gavin Stone's more big league ready. Uh, 
Miller Miller's the type of guy who is a he's very much a pitching ninja type of guy, like big stuff, but less consistent. Uh I just I don't think he's gonna be ready in the next few months to be turning big league lineups over twice. Okay. And they've just got a they've got a ton of depth. Um even if it's not as exciting as Miller. Uh, I think that they just have other options and they can afford to really um, keep him in the minors for a bit and develop him. And that's Bobby, Miller, Bobby. That's Bobby Miller we're talking about, right? Yes. Bobby Miller. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I almost transitioned to Miller without specifying. Okay. So, yeah. so Bryce Miller, um, he's been kind of just a, a massive helium guy for a while, like dating back to the end of last season very easy to see why uh when you when you see highlights of his fastball um Bryce Miller's fastball probably the best fastball of anyone we've talked about <laughs> um sure you know Grayson Rodriguez Hunter Brown Andrew Painter they've got great fastballs too but uh yeah I, he doesn't it, it's tough because he has variations of his fastball. He's got variations of his slider. So calling him a two-pitch guy maybe isn't isn't fair because he can kind of manipulate those pitches and have them play as, as multiple offerings. But, you know, his, he's also just so talented that you wonder how long they want to keep him in the minors right. and risk him getting injured. Um. Man, it's, I don't know. He's he's a guy that it's been tough for me to kind of decide how quickly he busts on the scene. But there's a lot of stuff we would say about Bryce Miller right now that we would have said about Matt Brash last year this mm-hmm. time. So I, I'm i kind of hands off, but I get it. I, I think there's, there's a case for just rolling the dice on the talent. And, you know, he's after after what like Spencer Strider did last year um you know we've seen guys like Tyler Glass now have a ton of success with two pitches mostly uh I I could see I I think I'd rather roll the dice on Bryce Miller than Harrison or Bobby yeah and I, I should say that like that rotation seems pretty set in stone to me um barring them pushing Marco Gonzalez out to pasture or an injury um you know, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert are, are pretty much locked in. So do they go six man? Um, do they push out um, Gonzalez? So I could see an, an avenue there. You mentioned Gavin Stone. So, you know, there there's now an injury to Tony Gonsolin. Again, a guy who seems to get hurt a lot. Uh, it doesn't seem like a serious injury, but it seems like he's going to be out at least, you know, for opening day, might miss a couple starts. Um, roster resource has already made the move to put um, Ryan Pepio in the starting rotation. Do you think there's any, are you in enough on Gavin Stone that you think there's any chance that he's like up early or do you just think that maybe, you know, toward that second half of the year, if the Noah Syndergaard experiment doesn't work or something like that, then he, he kind of gets his shot. Uh, I think we could see him in the first two months. If, things break right uh i don't i don't think they're going to pull the plug on noah Syndergaard. It, you know how i think he would have to just be really bad maybe 
it will be really bad. Uh, but the thing about a, a team like the Dodgers is they just they don't have to be impatient, and they obviously like um, Michael Grove. They like Ryan Pepio. We could debate whether those guys should be given more shots as big league starting pitchers, but the Dodgers just aren't going to rush this. I don't think unless Mm -hmm. there's just this sort of obvious opening stones pitching really well. Uh, That wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if middle of May, there's sort of a fab of Palooza where stones going for 120 or something like that. Um, And I I do think he's more big league ready than Bobby Miller. So if, if one of those two got a look earlier this year, I think it would be stone. Okay. Good to know. Um, do you have any pitchers you think are going to be relevant this year that we missed, we didn't cover? Uh, just quickly, Ricky Tiedemann with the Jays. I know he's super young. Uh, Andrew Painter is also super young. And Ricky Tiedemann is maybe, I don't know how much we believe in, you say Kikuchi's start to the spring, but sure. – I think I think we'll get to June and Ricky Tiedemann will look like one of their five best starting pitchers. So maybe he will be healthy, maybe he won't be healthy, but I think he's at least a guy worth mentioning. Uh, Taj Bradley with the Rays, he's on the forty man, which is something that can't be said about several of the guys we just talked about. And mm-hmm. there's already the Tyler Glass now injury, so I would I would guess they go with Yanni Chirinos, uh, but. Taj Brad, they love Taj Bradley. So I think he'll be up for most. I think he'll spend more time in the majors than in the minors this year. It might be in the bullpen. It might be following an opener. It might be as a true starter. But I think Taj Bradley should have an ADP inside the top 500. And then DL Hall, I know he's always hurt. I know the uh, command and control, uh, not, not what you want, but he's got, yeah. He's got some of the best stuff of any of the guys we're talking about. I really believe in the Orioles. Uh, and I think I think Deal Hall will be heard from sometime this season. And he's got good enough stuff where even if they just moved him to like a, a multi-inning relief role, he might have value in 15-team league. All right. Um, yeah, we are soaking up time here but we're gonna we're we're trying to give people as much information um i appreciate you you diving in uh we've got fewer hitters to talk about than pitchers um but we're gonna dive into just a couple of hitters right now um most of whom are going in you know draftable ranges and then there are a couple of guys who i think might be long shots at the end um miguel vargas is going pick 204 he's dealing with a little bit of a fractured pinky but is in the lineup and you know not swinging or at least but that was the beginning of spring um are you in on miguel vargas around pick 200 uh i i kind of am uh but i also don't have anywhere yet um i think he's i think he's gonna get a, a look as like a five day a week type of guy earlier this year especially with the gavin lux injury and he has five category upside. I mean, he's got one of the best hit tools in of all prospect eligible players. Uh, so I, I'll say I'm I'm in. I don't know if I'm in at pick two hundred to the point where I'm going to end up with him, but 
I think it's it's a worthwhile pick if you're chasing upside there. Yeah. And he is a guy who just keep an eye on it in your leagues because he's probably going to play second base for the Dodgers. But in some leagues, um, he has different positional eligibility. So he would he could pick up second base eligibility for you. Um, so that's just something to keep an eye on, depending on, on the leagues you're in. Um, Estuary Ruiz came over to Oakland, um, I believe, from the Padres, but he was also traded earlier last year so he's kind of bounced around a little bit he's kind of that pure speed home run pick uh going at 225 do you think that's too early for him uh it it depends how you want to build uh he in his i i wouldn't even say he's a speed home run pick He's he's a speed pick. I I don't think he hits double digit homers this year. Sorry, yeah, I now. meant like I meant speed home run. That's, that is super misleading. Oh, yeah. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. I meant, I, yes. I want to make sure people <laughs> understand that. Yes, I think it was. Um, I don't know if it was Eno Saris or Justin Mason. Somebody on their podcast said the sound of Estre Ruiz hitting a baseball is just like the sound of you hitting somebody with a pancake. Um, as a way to explain just how little power he gets uh, behind his swing. So, yeah, I meant speed home run pick in the sense that, like, he might be, yeah. like, win you the speed category if he's on your team and, and plays as much as they think he will. I I understand now. Uh, that, that went over my head. But, yes, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, in, in his range of outcomes, he could lead the league in stolen bases. Um, but I've I keep finding myself on the clock – and even if I need speed, I don't even take him. Like I, I would take Oswald Peraza or Garrett Mitchell over him easy because I, I have more faith in them playing close to every day all season. They're going to do more than just run. And if you take a Sturry Ruiz, you know, you're not taking a Sturry Ruiz there and saying, okay, I've got 15 steals. I've got 20 steals. Because otherwise you wouldn't take him there. You're you're taking him there, and you're you're thinking you got thirty steals. But right. what if he isn't even playing every day come middle of May? Then you got eight steals, and you were expecting thirty, and now your team's kind of messed up. So I I just think it's it's not a pick that I would like to make just from a roster construction standpoint. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you on that too. Um, I just haven't seen enough in the hit tool from what I've read and seen that I, that I'm interested in. I just don't want to have to build my team that way. I'd prefer not to get speed only guys who might not even win a, a starting job um, or have full time play, uh, you know, full time at bats by by mid season. Um, another guy who like I think we're assuming gets full time at bats, but he plays for the Colorado Rockies and he's a rookie, so we we don't really know. Um, but it's Ezekiel Tovar. Um, shortstop for the Rockies, whose defense should be good enough to keep him in the lineup every day, but um, who really knows? And are you interested in him currently going pick 230? Well, this is a case where I actually do have faith in the playing time, but I don't really have that much faith in the player. Uh, they, They love him, and they are going to do everything they can to have him be their full-time shortstop, I think. But uh, he just – he would not be an interesting prospect to me at all if it weren't for him being a Rocky. Um, and then it's just kind of like, can you play him on the road? Uh, I don't know. I Like, 
I said, I, I like Oswald Peraza more than him for redraft, and the, the ADP gap makes it a pretty easy call. Yeah. Um, uh, I have no shares. Um, maybe that's a little bit of my, um, you know, my bias against the Rockies prospects. I, I don't know. Um, but I just haven't been getting shortstops in, in that range. I've been, I've been going earlier or, or waiting. Um, I do like Peraza a little bit more and we'll just jump to, to him now. He's going pick 256. Um, it seems to me just looking at spring training starts and, and where guys are playing, that Peraza's gonna make the team as the as the shortstop, um, and that Volpe, either his path is is second base, which would mean they have to get rid of Glaber Torres, or his path is to go down to the minors and wait for them to move Glaber Torres, move on from Josh Donaldson or something. Um, does that seem fair, and does that mean that you're more in on Peraza than Volpe for this year? Yeah, I'm definitely more in on Peraza than Volpe for this year. I think, you know, Peraza is the better defender at shortstop. Uh, Peraza has accomplished more in the upper levels of the minors than Volpe. Um, for whatever reason, there's just this kind of – I think it's just because people are so kind of used to looking at, you know, Baseball America or MLB prospect rankings, and it's just like, oh, Anthony Volpe, shortstop, top – 10 top 15 wherever they got him um he's the guy but to me there isn't that big a gap at all between Peraza and Volpe for as a fantasy prospect I think Peraza the speed to me is about the same I know Volpe has racked up some crazy stolen base totals uh but I think Peraza is just a better hitter right now than Volpe is and I expect Volpe to to kind of catch catch him there um, but when you factor in the glove, you factor in uh, what Prize did last year at AAA and in the big leagues. I just, it's really hard for me to see a case for Volpe over Peraza. And uh, maybe I'm wrong about this. You know, I, I just, I don't think this is the year for him. I think it's going to be kind of a slower burn than people want it to be. Maybe he's a post type guy next year, Volpe. Um, but I think Peraza is ready right now. I think he could go like 12, 25 this year. Like it's, it, he's kind of like a Andres Jimenez type of guy, um, sort of locked and loaded there and he's going super late. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And I think the same thing, like if he had been, I think it it's tracking, like he is the starting shortstop on the Yankees. If he was denounced as the starting shorts up in the Yankees, he wouldn't be going pick 256. He'd be going much higher. Um, but because Volpe's around, I think it's it's allowing the draft cost to kind of be depressed a little bit. So I'm trying to get shares uh, where I can. Um, I just, I don't see him flopping to the extent that he, he loses that job. Um, Josh Young is next. Uh, he's actually going ahead of, of, Peraza, he's going to pick 237. Um, he was obviously very trendy last year, and then he got hurt. Um, and then he they did the Rangers did bring him back up at the end of the year. Um, are you in on Josh Young around pick 237? Uh very similar uh to Tristan Casas for me, where it's like I I am very okay with the price. I just haven't ended up with him. And I think people 
I wouldn't sleep on Josh Young's hit tool just because of like don't look at his strikeout rate in the big leagues last year or his uh K to walk at triple A last year and just sort of assume that this is a gonna be a guy who's just always a low batting average guy. Like for for this year, I do think he will be kind of more Matt Chapman than than like better than that. But uh I if you look at the context with his injuries, him sort of rushing back, him getting thrown in the deep end against big league pitching, I don't know why you would have expected much better. And he did mm-hmm. get better as his his cup of coffee went on last year. He's gonna play every day. He's one hundred percent their third baseman of the future. So the the playing time's there, the power is legit. Maybe he's even going to take a step forward with the hit tool sooner than I expect and maybe he hits 250, 255, something like that this year. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, but again, it's just you know, I would I would take just a, a steady veteran like even if they're not as sort of high range outcomes, I would take like a Yandy Diaz or a Yon Mancado over Young just, you know, get back in next year if, if he really shows something but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold his strikeout rate last year against him yeah uh you I mean I'm I'm in on Matt Chapman so even if he he just becomes Matt Chapman that, <laughs> yeah. that works for me I'm totally fine with that um one guy I, I did draft um in TGFBI so just say nice things even if you don't really mean them um but it's Oscar Colas who appears to be on track to be the starting right fielder for the White Sox um has big time power, but their manager is on record saying they want him to run more. Um, and that even though they're that he's also on record as saying they're trying to teach him how to be a better base runner, uh, <laughs> so they want him to run more, even though they acknowledge that he's not a, a particularly smart base runner. Um, but at least you know, there's the possibility you might pop five to seven steals out of somebody if they're trying to be aggressive with him on the on the base paths. But but are you in on Oscar Colas who appears to maybe have the the edge um, on Gavin Sheets for the right field job in Chicago? Uh, I'm not in, but I'm not against the pick. I, I think your pick could pay off. I think uh, – I should say, sorry, he's going two set, 270 as the ADP for March. Yeah. I mean, you're not getting – there aren't any outfielders going there that have – the potential to hit 25 homers that don't come with other concerns, right? Like right. You, you just, you don't get, Oh, well, this guy's going to hit like 260 and he has a chance to hit, you know, that that's not really how it works in that range of the draft. So uh, the power is 100% legit. As you said, I mean, I, I don't really like the white Sox process for how they go about putting together a roster and a lineup and stuff like that. But it does seem like they're just pigeonholing him in. Um, so, you know, I, I get it. I mean, the power's legit. He was pushed pretty aggressively last year. He was way better than I thought he'd be last year. Uh, maybe just another year under his belt stateside and he takes another step forward. That could be possible. Uh, I wonder why they're trying to make him uh, a base stealer. He's, he's just, he's a big guy. I feel like they should have learned their lesson with like Eloy Jimenez and, like let's let's keep this guy healthy. Let's keep this bat in the lineup, that type of thing. But uh, I think he, you know, he could he could actually hit like thirty homers this year. So I I get it. 
All right. That doesn't make me feel terrible. So I'm okay with that. Um, and then a guy who's really rising is Garrett Mitchell um, of the Brewers. Part of the rise is his performance in the spring. The other part of the rise is the injury to Tyrone Taylor. That seems like it gave Mitchell uh, more playing time. Um, but then Brian Anderson, who they signed in the offseason, has been playing a lot of outfield and, and has been playing well. Um, but, you know, that's in the corner and Mitchell's playing center. Um, so it seems like maybe he's he's got a job. Uh, how do you feel about Garrett Mitchell? I've got a lot of regret that I didn't draft him back in the fall and the early winter because he's with Taylor injured. He's the Brewers only competent defensive outfielder on the roster on the 40 man roster. Uh, They, they have to play him. If they don't play him, it's malpractice for their pitchers because that means someone else on the team's playing center field. And he's, like they just have to play him. He also he runs. He's going to run a lot. Uh, he might even hit high against righties at some point this season. And I really think his strikeout rate in the majors is pretty misleading. If you kind of look under the hood, I think he was making decent swing decisions. Uh, you know, I, I'm not expecting him to hit 270 this year but I could see him hitting 240, 245. And if he gets 500 plate appearances, I think he'll just hit enough mistakes to get you 10 to 15 homers. And if he gets 500 plate appearances, he might get 25 steals. So uh, I just think this is setting up perfectly for him uh, in part because of the Brewers uh, kind of really cheap, mediocre way of putting together this roster. Uh, but I, I just think he's going to play a ton. The speed, it's it's just a really nice uh, pick in this range, especially if you missed out on some of your earlier speed targets. Yeah, I I admittedly was slow um, to buy in. Um, and part of that was just like, I, I guess I was confused by the Brewers offseason um, with the, yeah. the, the signing of so many of these guys who seem like the same guy. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Mike Brousseau and Brian Anderson. Um, and I feel like they got another one in there, too. They got Owen Miller, Abraham Toro. Oh, Owen, Owen Miller, that's what it is. And then they signed Tyler Naquin. Um, and then so it's like I, I uh, they you know traded for Jesse Winker. So I'm kind of like, where do these pieces fit? And so I think I kind of just wrote Mitchell off as like playing time concerns. Um, and, and I'm a little bit mad at myself for – taking so long to really kind of like process what was happening in Milwaukee, um, which I don't know that they fully processed it, but, but I needed to also, um, and just kind of like figuring out um, that he, he has a more of a lead in or a run up to playing time than I thought. Um, And also just in the same organization, it seems like Bryce Terang might be the starting second baseman. Um, in Milwaukee, uh, roster resource has him him starting there right now. Um, you know he is holding his own in, in spring. Nothing you know substantial, but you know nothing that makes you kind of think he's not ready. Um, he did have 131 games at at AAA last year. So do you do you think Bryce Terang is the second baseman, and and do you think he's worth drafting in redraft leagues? 
So I think defensively, he's definitely one of their two best middle infielders. Uh, but I think it's worth noting that Adam McAlvey, who's the beat writer for MLB.com, put out his sort of roster prediction article a week ago, and he had Terang starting at AAA. And I think we just listed off all these journeyman second baseman types that they brought in. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if they go with Luis Arias at second base and like Brian Anderson slash Brousseau yeah. or whatever at, at third base. Uh, but even if Terang starts up, I am not interested in fantasy this year because he's going to hit bottom third in the lineup. Uh, he's become a better hitter than I thought he would. Uh, but I just, I don't think this is a guy who's going to make an impact offensively as a rookie. He's also going to sit against lefties. Like the one thing a lot of those guys they brought in have in common is they hit right-handed and they've typically been on short sides of platoon. So anyone like Terang who hits left-handed and isn't going to do any damage against lefties is going to sit against lefties. So uh, I just think there's, there's too many reasons to kind of, uh, suppress his projected output from a counting stat standpoint that it doesn't even really matter to me whether he starts up or not because I just don't see the upside there. I mean, he, you're chasing speed, right? Like he, he could steal 15, 20 bases, I guess, if he just gets a full season worth of a, a strong side platoon. But if it's coming in the bottom third of a bad lineup, it's not really that worth worthwhile to me. Yeah, I – I will say just because you you brought we've been we've been discussing the name we've been dancing around the name but I I'm kind of in on Brian Anderson um in this in this situation to the extent that you know I think he he's been playing a lot of third base this spring um, again he's hitting over 400 this spring again spring so we just just got to say that for everything but he he's had a couple decent years in in Miami and is in a much better hitting park now. Um, and I just think that he's like a boring end of your draft guy who's going to be third base outfield eligible in most leagues, which means corner, third base corner outfield, um, you know, will hit around 250 and pop 15 home runs. And depending on how many games he plays, has, you know, okay RBIs run scored in a decent, not great offense. Um but I, you know, you're basically getting him at at free, you know. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still in my TGI, at, in TGFBI draft at pick four seventeen. He's on the clock, uh, or he's you know available. So like you're not paying a premium for a guy who is in a plus hitting environment, who's been a solid fantasy producer, solid, not great, but solid fantasy producer when he's healthy, um, and the when he's healthy part is, is crucial there. But you know, who knows. Um, I'm intrigued enough. Yeah, I could. Um, I mean, I I think I think I agree with with pretty much everything you said. Like, it, I don't know for sure if he's got a everyday job, but if he does have an everyday job, then he's a steal where he's going. Yeah. Um, we're gonna end with four guys. They all play third base. Um, so I kind of just split them up into pairs because two of them are are teammates. Um. So I just want to know if you're interested in any of these guys. Uh, the top two are a little bit uh, trendier, but might not have uh, clear playing time. And it's Brett Beatty of the Mets and Curtis Mead of the Rays. Um, are you in on either of those guys for redraft leagues? 
Yes, I, I I'm I'm kind of priced out on Beatty. It seems uh, he gets a lot of hype because of his exit velocity is understandable. Uh, ground ball rate has only been acceptable once, and that was last year at Double A, which is good because that was a pretty large sample and it was in the upper levels. But uh, pretty much every other stop, he's had uh, just a terrible ground ball rate. Um, so I, I just think he's getting pushed up a little bit too much. Definitely not a guarantee that he has that job. Uh, I think that Escobar, I think he's a good enough veteran that you could, you could make a case for just giving him another shot. Mm-hmm. Um, Curtis Mead, I absolutely love his bat. And if, you know, there's rumors, they might sign him to a, a long-term extension this spring. I heard that. Yep. That that would be fantastic, and he's just he's he's a potential plus hit tool plus power guy. Could play right away against big league pitching. I mean, look, there's everything under the hood in the minors last year is just perfect. Uh, so I, I think Mead. I'm I'm actually hoping that he comes back to me with one of my final two picks in TGFBI. Um, he probably won't because. Uh, that has really been working out for for me in this draft, but um, I would I would recommend just drafting him with one of your last picks in a bench spot, and you know maybe stash him for a couple weeks, and then you just cut him when you need to cut him. But if he if he makes the team out of spring training, he could be hitting I don't know third, fourth, second for them a good chunk of this season. It's just it's not a very good team in terms of impact hitters uh they've they've got depth they've got platoons and stuff but curtis mead's a really special hitter i kind of hope he doesn't break camp because i might have a few too many shares of isak paredes uh oh no you're you're fine with those he's he's great too um because i'm i'm fully out on yanni diaz i feel like that experiment (laughs) has run its course um so yeah uh we'll see how that goes um the, the next pairing of third basemen are teammates, um, and it's Spencer Steer, and a guy who's picking up a lot of helium because of the way he's performing in spring, which is uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand. Um, what's interesting to me is that Steer is not a third baseman by um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears as though um, Steer came up in the minors uh, playing second base um primarily and then was was traded to the uh reds and has been playing more third base and is slotted to play third base because jonathan india plays um second base but weirdly jonathan india also started his minor league career playing third base and then they moved him to second base so it feels like maybe they could swap them back and forth who really knows um but are, are you in on Spencer Steer, who has, you know, reportedly been struggling defensively this spring? Do you think, you know, the, the bat is enough for fantasy? Do you think Christian Encarnacion Strand can actually make an impact this year? Is he too far away? Do, or do you care about either of these guys? I think that they're going to just have to see what they have in Steer. They, you know, who are they going to give the, those at-bats to? Um, I think He's just he's kind of a classic and Meads Meads like this too. Meads all bat, uh, not much glove. 
Uh, so with those guys, you just you try to stick them at second, maybe you stick them at third, and then you hope the the bat's good enough to kind of make up for it. Um, so I, I think Steer, like he could hit 240 with 20 homers, especially in that park. Um, so I, you know, I, I get it, especially in like an NL only or draft and hold or something like that. I think he will get the playing time because they don't really have anyone else and they traded for him. I mean, yeah. they, they got both those guys, but uh, strand or international strand is, is really, he's, he's a divisive prospect because he has been ridiculously productive and he's got monster power and he's got a horrible, um, like he, he swings at everything. Um, so I'm, I'm more in on Encarnacion Strand than out because I just think he does so much damage on contact that he's going to make it work. You know, maybe he doesn't make it work for a decade or even six, seven years, but, uh, just the dream of Encarnacion Strand getting to play half his games in that ballpark. Yeah. I mean, he could have, like, he could have a 35 homer season. Um, yeah. I mean, it might come with like a 30% strikeout rate and a 6% walk rate or something like that. But, right. Um, I just, I don't think it's going to be this year. Like, he, Christian Encarnacion Strand went in my TGFBI league in like the 26th round which is just insane to me. He's just, he's not going to, like, if you put him in the big leagues on opening day, he would hit 200 and yeah. get sent back to AAA in four weeks. So he's, he's currently on the, um, he's currently available in mine. Um, I, I will not be, I will not be taking him. Um, I wasn't going to take him anyway, but this conversation has, has um, solidified that. But I, I do, I mean, you get it in some respects, right? I mean, it's the same thing that's happening with Jordan Walker, but just mm. with somebody who's, who is not as highly regarded as a prospect in terms of their current readiness and doesn't have a spot, but you know, he's hitting 600 with three home runs and 10 RBIs in the spring. Mm-hmm. Jordan Walker is not hitting that well, but because he's, <laughs> so, yeah, but so he's because better. he, right, exactly. But because Jordan Walker has the pedigree and the, the spot, there's a little more credence to why he's being moved up, but it's the same like, ooh, here's a shiny prospect who's crushing spring. Right. Now I need to react to that. Um, and there are some reactions that are good and some that aren't. Um, and I'm throwing a guy at you who is not on the list, but it, it kind of just adds to that because um, it's Parker Meadows who is is hitting pretty well this spring. Is hitting 300 with, with two home runs. Um but he's also on here because uh, the Tigers outfielders suck um, and they have sucked this spring. I mean, I think the Akil Badu experiment should be over if it if it's not already over. Um, you know, they got Tyler Nevin, who was an Orioles prospect for a little bit, and he's not really doing much this spring. And again, it's just spring. But like these are guys who have kind of had opportunities and not really done anything with them. Um, so it seems like the Tigers may roll out. Matt Veerling in the outfield, who I wrote up as a, as a sleeper and who I do like, but I don't think I'm a, a contending, and the Tigers aren't contending, but I don't think a, a team hopes that he's a starting outfielder for them. 
So do you think that there's a legitimate shot that Parker Meadows can force himself into that lineup sooner rather than later? Uh, I would, I would think more kind of like June, July. Um, now, like for what it's worth, uh, Eno and I have a dynasty team and, uh, he was trying to get us to take Parker Meadows like five rounds ago. Uh, so, um, you know, there's, there's people that like Meadows quite a bit. Um, I, first of all, how dare you uh, want them to pull the plug on Akil Badu, who I really need to steal like 20 bases <laughs> for my AL labor team. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's good, but he's, he's like one of the only athletes they have on the team. So I just kind of figured the new regime would want to at least see if they could I, turn him into something. But um, I'm scarred because I wanted that from him last year in my home league. Um, and I didn't get it. Uh, and <laughs> I also wanted that from Trent Grisham last year in my mm. home league, and I didn't get it. And I held on to the two of them for far too long, refusing to admit uh, the mistake. And um, yeah, so I, uh, it's just a sore spot for me right now. It, the, the Tigers are going to be a team where we they're going to be shuffling a lot of prospects. And, Andre Lipschitz, uh, Justin mm. Henry Malloy, uh, Ryan Creedler. These guys are, are all going to get looks this year. Uh, it's just going to be kind of a continuous audition for all their position players, basically to sort of show what they have. Uh, so they can kind of figure out who they want to keep and who they want to move on from. Right. Um, anybody we haven't mentioned, you, you want to talk about two other guys before we get out of here. Um, so my, uh, browser actually crashed. So can you just give me the names? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I can. <laughs> uh, you had, uh, Michael Garcia and James Outman. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, uh, Michael Garcia, a Royals shortstop who has been getting looks in center field and third base. Uh, he tore up winter ball. He had a pretty strong season last year. He's not a guy who looks like he's going to hit the ball very hard, and he probably, you know, I, I doubt he's ever going to be a 20 homer guy, but he's a really good defender. He's got plus speed. He's big league ready. You know, Hunter Dozier is not standing in his way. I don't think, uh, you know, maybe he is like the first month or two, but uh, I think Mark, Michael Garcia and Michael Garcia's ADP has gone up about 200 spots since I had Rob Silver on my podcast. And he said that he was going to be this year's Jeremy Pena. Uh, but I, I think he's at least, worth a look in the end game. Um, I mean, you're probably not going to get him if Rob or Vlad Sedler, one of those guys is in your room, but um, just, just a name to keep in mind, especially if you're chasing late speed or definitely yeah. like an AL only type of thing. And then James I Altman. I, I actually just want to say, I, I love that call just because I drafted Kike Hernandez in my TGFBI league because he's outfield eligible and I know we'll be the starting shortstop. So I like the idea of getting everyday at bats from somebody who's middle infield and outfield eligible. Yes. But I'm seeing after you mentioned it that, you know, Michael Garcia is starting in center field, some starts. Um, and so if there's a chance that, you know, he is, shortstop eligible in, in NFBC, but if there's a chance that they're moving him around and he winds up, you know, getting 
some outfield eligibility too. That's kind of the same thinking, but with somebody who probably has more upside than Kike Hernandez, who, you know, we know is in the middle of a solid, but not great lineup, but has no speed and, you know, will hit in the teens in home runs and with like a 230 batting average. So that's nothing like super exciting outside of like really deep leagues. Yeah, it's it's sort of it's the hope is that it's usable speed, right? Like he he might hit for a better average with similar power, maybe more power than like an Estuary Ruiz with better defense, that type of thing. Um, and then James Outman, uh, he's a guy that I, it took me a while to kind of come around on, but um, the underlying metrics uh, last year in the upper levels were were actually pretty impressive. He's always been old for the level. He's always struck out a decent amount, but he's a really good athlete. He's a good defender. He's got power. He's got speed. The Dodgers know what they're doing, obviously. Uh, He'd probably be in line for a platoon if he were to get a a prominent role because they have guys like Trace Thompson, Chris Taylor, who need to be in there against lefties. But uh, Outman shouldn't necessarily be a forgotten man here. He could be actually one of the bigger beneficiaries of that Gavin Lux injury because I think Chris Taylor uh, basically being able to play anywhere could allow Outman to get a look. I was like thinking about an outfielder to draft at the end of TGFBI and I was thinking about Outman and then two days ago I saw on Twitter that he has a pet rock that he named Rocka (laughs) that he keeps in his locker and he feeds it coffee before baseball games. And I was just like, this dude is so weird. Um, (laughs) And he's also hitting like 460 in spring training. And why not? I mean, like who doesn't want to root for a guy that has a pet Rocky feeds coffee? Like, like that's one of the weirder things and it's amazing. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I guess that's the thing. It's, it's, It's him or Trace Thompson, right? I like Trace Thompson too a little bit, but I I don't know. I think that that might just be a platoon right there. Yeah. Um, interestingly, you know, Trace Thompson, I, you know, he listen. He had opportunities and he crashed and burned, and then he came back. Um, he does not look good so far this spring. And again, we know we always just say it. It's it's spring, um, but you know. Um, yeah, it's uh, that would be an interesting, be an interesting yeah. possibility, James Allen. Well, don't don't definitely like you know main takeaway. Don't don't not draft James Outman because you see Trace Thompson listed as the everyday center fielder on roster recently. Right. Yeah. Good point. Uh, James, thanks. We went super long, but it was a lot of really good information. Just remind people uh, before you go where they can read your work and listen to your work. Yeah. Uh, just. On Twitter at RealJR Anderson, uh, tweet out pretty much everything I do from there. Uh, Rotowire.com slash pod for a trial. Uh, I will have a big top 400 prospect rankings update before opening day, uh, before um, that, that kind of final weekend of, of March. So, uh, you know, that's that's the place to find it right there. And then uh, podcast every Wednesday on the, the Roadwire baseball feed or the Roadwire Prospect podcast feed. Um, and where is your where is your Top Chef writing? Where can we find uh, your breakdowns? 
Well, I don't know. I, I, my wife and I have done drafts in the past. Uh, yeah. Like right after the season premiere, we'll uh, we'll do a draft sometimes. Um, Let's, we we might need to organize one tomorrow night. Let's talk to the people <laughs> at, at the NFBC and see if we can get get it going. I'll I'll live. I'll get them to live stream it and uh, perfect. We'll get one of those shareable boards that won't say who took each person, so that we're not giving away our trick. Love it. Love it. Let's get it going. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Samsky NYC. You can read my work at uh, rotoballer.com. Um, I've got an article coming out um, later this week called Patience and Pop, which looks at guys who are uh, over 60th percentile last year in both with rate and barrel rate. Uh, there were only 15 of them. Um, so we'll take a look at some of that. And we will uh, keep coming here every week on the Catcher's Corner Sam, you'll be back next week. We're with Mike Curland, who's going to talk to us about some spring training takeaways uh, with his work he does at The Athletic. So thanks to James for coming on, and we will catch everybody next week on The Catcher's Corner. Mm-hmm.